Today's reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 5, starting at verse 22, and reading through to... church Bibles. God promises deliverance. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians." And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why should Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joan, for reading that for us. Please keep the passage open in front of you. So page 62, if you've closed your Bibles, and if you look on the back of the notice sheet, there are also just a a couple of headings there just to help you as we go through the sermon so that you can see where we're heading, see where we've got to. You can make notes on there if you want to as well, uh, if that would help you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that we have your word, that you have spoken to us, and we can read your word. Father, as we do so, as we look into it now, would you open our eyes to know you better and shape us and change us to be the people you want us to be? In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. 
Well, we come back to the book of Exodus. You've had a couple of weeks of uh, looking elsewhere, looking at other passages, and I'm very grateful to those from Cornerstone Church who came and preached for us here while, while I was away. Uh, but we come back to Exodus now, and we come back to a significant moment. Moses, coming before the Lord, fed up. And he's fed up because things have gone really badly. If you remember from a few weeks ago, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. Slaves of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord um, appeared to Moses and said, if you remember, he said uh, that he was going to free the Israelites. In chapter 3 he said, I have seen the misery of my people. I've heard their cry. And so he says... I've come down to rescue them. And then if you remember, he says, so now, Moses, go. I'm sending you. It's a lovely moment, isn't it, in chapter 3. I've come down to rescue them. I'm going to do all this. So Moses, you go and do it. Well, Moses took a lot of persuading. A lot of persuading. But eventually Moses went. He went to Pharaoh and told him what God had told him to say. Well, roughly what God told him to say. And last time we saw Pharaoh's reaction. The Lord had said that Pharaoh wouldn't listen to Moses. But Moses wasn't prepared for what followed. Pharaoh made the Israelites' lives harder, no longer giving them straw to make the bricks that he forced them to make but still insisting on the same number of bricks and beating up the Israelite foreman if they didn't manage it. It was just all going horribly wrong. And the Israelites, not only are their lives harder, now they turned against Moses. So it all went badly. It all went wrong from Moses' point of view and not because Moses was disobedient, but because he'd obeyed the Lord. He'd done what God said and things became harder. So understandably, he comes to the Lord in verse 22 of chapter 5 and says, why Lord, why have you brought this trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people and you've not rescued your people at all. He's saying there in verse, uh, verse 23, I did my bit, I spoke in your name, but Lord, you didn't do your bit. You didn't rescue, and I love that it says, you haven't rescued your people at all. Not even a little bit. Not even one person freed from slavery. You've not done your bit at all. Now, I wonder whether in some ways we can relate to Moses on this. I would think there are plenty of us who can. Maybe you've done something in your life. Some You can think back on times in the past when you've known what you've needed to do. You've known what God's word has been uh, because we have it. We, we, you've tried to obey God's instructions and things have, from your perspective, gone horribly wrong, horribly badly. Maybe there was an issue at work an occasion when you had to be faithful to the Lord, you had to stand out, to speak the truth, 
to stand against what others were saying and doing or not doing what they tell you to do. And so you prayed, you plucked up the courage and you did what God commanded you to do and the results were terrible. Or maybe you've plucked up the courage to speak to a neighbour or a friend about Jesus or to invite them to the marked drama. Maybe for some of you, the, those neighbours, those friends, they, they accepted and said, yeah, I'll come along. Maybe others, actually the reception was quite frosty. Or you at last managed to invite someone to a service here and they came and then didn't want to come again. And things are difficult now. We can feel, God, I did my bit. Where were you? Well, we're going to see two important things from uh, the way the Lord responds to Moses. And the first is, uh, which will come up on the screen, it's on your sheet, the promises still stand. Just have a look at verses 1 to 5. Follow through with me as I read verse 1 to 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I've remembered my covenant. Now you notice there the, re the repetition of the word covenant. I established my covenant, I've remembered my covenant. God is saying to Moses, the promises still stand, the covenant, the binding promises that I made with your ancestors, they still stand. And when he says, I've remembered them, that's not saying God was going, oh, uh, oh, I'd forgotten them. Now I remember what I promised. No, that's not what he's saying. When God remembers, it is in the Bible that he is about to act on it. He's about to do something about it. And all that God says there is incredibly similar to what he said to Moses at the burning bush in chapter 3. See, God is saying, Moses, the promises still stand. The plan has not changed. God was not thrown by the fact that Pharaoh didn't want to go along with the plan. He's not discouraged by Pharaoh. He's not, he's not suddenly realising, oh, Pharaoh's actually a bit stronger than I'd thought. As if God had promised for hundreds of years that he would do this. And now when it comes to it, he's like a novice diver on the high platform going up there and suddenly realising it's way too high and he can't possibly do this and therefore having to clamber down in an embarrassed way. No, nothing's gone wrong. This is exactly what God knew would happen. And the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they still stand. And we need that reassurance too sometimes, don't we? God's promises still stand, especially when we feel like things are going wrong. We need reminding, don't we, that when life is hard, God has not gone back on his word. His promise is to be with his people, to be with you. And he still is, even when you get bad news. 
His promise still stands that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, even when your friends or family, when you try to tell them the gospel or invite them to the Mark drama, even when they refuse to come along, even when it feels like you're bashing your head against a brick wall, the gospel is still the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And we need to be reminded God's promise is that at the right time, he will bring all things together under Christ Jesus. And that is true even when it feels like the world is out of control and when darkness and evil seem to be on the rise. God's promises still stand. We can trust them. But actually... God gives Moses more than that. He doesn't just reiterate the promises, though he does. Moses needs to know that there is a bigger plan. This is very important for Moses to grasp, and it's important for us to grasp too, that there is an even bigger plan, a bigger purpose than simply setting free the Israelites. And so this is our second point, um, come up on the screen there. Uh, and is on the sheet. God has a greater goal. We know sometimes there can be more than one plan going on at once, don't we? For instance, the raising the money for, to do the heating. Our goal in doing the heating was never just to warm up a building. No, there, there's a bigger plan, isn't there? Which is to, that we want to see people come to Jesus, grow in him and go out to serve him. That's the bigger plan. And therefore, in order to see that happen, we need heating because you need a warm building. Uh, a cold building gets in the way of that. There's the plan and then there's the bigger plan. And we know that in our lives as well, don't we? That there can be times when you, you decide to do something, but actually there's a bigger plan for it. You decide to meet up with someone but, uh, or to do something, but really there's a bigger plan that you just want to spend time with them maybe. Or you, we know that there's a plan and there can be a bigger plan. Well, that's true here for God with Moses and the Israelites. See if you can spot it in, in the verses. Verse 3. Did you notice that bit that God said about his name? Verse 3. <clears throat> it says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now that seems a bit curious. And it's a slightly odd thing for God to say. I'm going to show you that this is, part, this is revealing to us God's bigger plan. But it's a slightly odd thing for God to say. God is saying there that to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, he didn't reveal himself as the Lord. Now that is an odd thing to say because if you read through the book of Genesis, what you find is Abraham, Isaac and Jacob did call the Lord the Lord. So why does Moses say that he didn't reveal himself to them as that? It's an odd thing to say, isn't it? Well, you've got a couple of options on that. One is that, well, Moses wrote the book of Genesis, so maybe he wrote it back in, so putting it in the, the, the name of the Lord in the, in the mouths of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's possible. But I think there's something more going on here. Because if you look down at verse 7, we see something further. Verse 7, uh, God then says to Moses, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Do you see, God is saying there to Moses, at the moment you don't know 
that I am the Lord your God. You, even you, Moses, don't know this. Even though he'd said to Moses, look, my name is the Lord. So what is God saying? When he says, I, I didn't reveal myself to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob as the Lord. And Moses, even you don't really know me as the Lord yet. What's he saying? It's not actually to do with the name the Lord. It is to do with Moses and the Israelites knowing the Lord in a deeper way. That they would experience the fulfilment of the promises. God made the promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but they didn't see the fulfilment of them. But for Moses and the Israelites, they will see the fulfilment of it. You see, it's more about them knowing God's character in a deeper way and knowing God in experience in a deeper way. That's what it is to know the Lord. That's what's going on there. And that is the bigger plan. On the screen, we can go on to the next slide. God has a greater goal, knowing the Lord. And that shapes how the Lord will do what he's going to do. So how, how will it happen? You see, God says to Moses, look, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob didn't know me as the Lord. And then in verse 7 says, you will know me as the Lord. So what's going to happen for Moses and the Israelites to be able to say, yeah, we know the Lord? Well, he explains in that paragraph, verses 6 to 8, God explains it. He says, this is what's going to happen and then you'll know that I'm the Lord. And in verses 6 to 8 in that paragraph... Just so that you know, there's a, a little bit of a structure. That's where we're going to focus a little bit more now. So you will need the passage open in front of you. If you've closed your Bibles, you need to open it up again to page 62. In that paragraph, verses 6 to 8, there are seven I wills. So God's saying, you're going to know me in this better way when I do these things. Seven times, I will, I will, I will. In other words, God's saying, this is going to be my action. I'm going to do all this. And you can split that down a little bit further, or a little bit less, into three sections. So we have to think about three things from those verses, verses 6 to 8. How are they going to know the Lord? They're going to know the Lord through rescue. God says... I will rescue you. Verse 6. I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and, a might, and with mighty acts of judgment. God says I'm going to rescue you. Liberate you. Redeem you. And I will do it. Notice he says I will do it with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. This is going to be spectacular, he says. You Israelites are going to be in awe of how God is going to do this. And so you will know the Lord, you will know his might. Which presumably is why God didn't just do it straight away when Moses first went into Pharaoh. If Moses had just walked into Pharaoh and said, uh, let my people go, and Pharaoh had gone, all right. That wouldn't have been spectacular, the people wouldn't have known of God's might and power. In fact, if that had happened, if, God, if Moses had gone in, said that, and Pharaoh had just gone, yeah, all right, go for it, would they have thought that the Lord was involved at all? No, because most likely they would have thought, well, Moses, you did that. Good on you. Well done. They probably wouldn't have looked to the Lord at all. 
God is going to do things in such a way that they will know his might, his power, his outstretched arm. There will be no possibility of them saying this was Moses who did this. And so we know, don't we, that what's going to follow is going to be uh, the plagues of blood and frogs and flies and hail and darkness and so on. It's going to be spectacular. They're going to know without a shadow of a doubt, this is God Almighty, this is the Lord doing this. And they will know it in experience, which is like the difference between hearing that ice cream is delicious and experiencing it, or the difference between hearing that the shard, the building in London, is tall and actually standing at the top of it and going, whoa, this is tall. They will know in experience the might and power of the Lord. And we too can know the Lord in the way he rescues us. The cross of Jesus, our means of rescue from sin, reveals so much to us about God. In John's Gospel, Jesus talks about the cross and resurrection as the place where God's glory is revealed most brilliantly. Do you want to know the glory of God? See his power, his might, his love... The best place to look is the cross. Do you want to experience God? To know not just to know him, not just to hear about him, but to know God. Look to the cross of Jesus. Go to the Mark drama and see what goes on there. It is wonderful to see. We can experience God, know God through his rescue. So God will reveal himself to the Israelites in the rescue. But second, through close relationship. Verse 7. So he says, I'll rescue, I'll redeem you. Then verse 7. Notice this. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Now this is really important. God did not free them from slavery merely so that they could be free. It's not like God is releasing them like like animals into the wild, where he just sort of lifts the cage and says, off you go, that's it. Or like birds being set free. You know, you see that kind of thing where they open up the lid and the birds just fly off. And God is saying, "I'm I'm not rescuing you like that so you can just flap off. No, I'm rescuing you so that I can know you, to bring you to myself, that you will be my people. And that is exactly what we see in the book of Exodus. That as you go through, you see the Lord rescuing the people out of Egypt and then bringing them to Mount Sinai to himself and telling them how to live as his people. And what does that consist of? Well, we see, uh, we'll see whenever we get there um, in the second half of the book how God does that. But the substance of the second half of the book of Exodus is all about living as God's people. Often when people preach through the book of Exodus, they do the first half and then second half sort of isn't really touched on. Because all the action is in the first half. The first half has got all the excitement of the plagues and and the rescue and the going through the Red Sea and all of that kind of stuff, all that excitement. Then you get to the second half and what's the majority of the second half? Well, it's about two things, a lot of it. It's about law... And it's about the tabernacle. 
setting up the tabernacle. And there's a lot of it which is about, you've got to build this and you've got to build that. You've got to make an altar and you've got to make this tent and you've got to do... And there's a lot of instructions about how to do it. And often people miss the second half because it's harder to go through and I'm still not quite sure how we're going to tackle it. But what you see there is actually that second half is really important because the first half is about the rescue, rescued from slavery. The second half is about rescued for worship for being in God's people, for being God's people in God's presence, uh, for obeying God. Obedience is really important, that we live as God's people and for being in his presence, which is what the tabernacle was for. It's all worship, that second half, the obedience and the being in God's presence, and that's true for us too. God does not rescue us like birds being set free. He doesn't set us free from sin merely that we could go off and do whatever we want, but for himself. Keep a hand in Exodus, would you? And would you turn to 1 Peter? I'll give you a page number when I get there. So 1 Peter chapter 3. This is a verse that we often come to after we've uh, done our confession. Sometimes we come to it. Uh, 1 Peter 3 verse 18 is a good verse to learn as well. Page 1219. <coughs> Page 1219, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. Where it says there, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Just pause there. So that is explaining God's rescue through Jesus, isn't it? That Jesus died on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous, in the place of the unrighteous. This is how we can be forgiven, Christ in our place, bearing the punishment we deserve. That's how we can be forgiven. But notice how it ends. I'll start at the beginning of the verse again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. You see, it's the same purpose. In the book of Exodus, God's saying, look, I'm rescuing you to bring you to myself, so that you will be my people. And in uh, 1 Peter, it's saying when Jesus died, he died to rescue us so that we could come to God, so that we could know God and be known by God, so we can be his people. I want to turn back to Exodus now. Do you see, the gospel is not just forgiveness of sins it is not just the cross though they are vital but the gospel is that God uses those that we might know God we are forgiven to come into relationship with God the cross is there so that we can know God that we can live in relationship with him knowing his grace and his forgiveness and in a relationship of obedience in every area of our lives and living our lives in his presence. So if you're investigating Christianity, you might think, well, maybe coming to God is like coming to my, going to the garage, taking my car to the garage. Maybe it's got some problems. I go in there and say, well, can you fix these problems? Maybe that's how we view going to God. Maybe we still do that if you're a Christian. You think, well, uh, God's there to to fix things. I'll, I'll take my problems to him. And it is important that we do. We must take our problems to God. And God may fix them, but he may not. 
But actually God has a bigger purpose, a bigger plan. The biggest thing that he has for us is to know himself. And therefore, sometimes he brings healing, sometimes he brings a a solution to our problems, but sometimes he doesn't because he has a greater purpose that we would know him better even through the difficulties. So God's purpose for the Israelites and for us is that we would know him through close relationship. And the third thing in that paragraph, verses 6 to 8, is that, we would, that they would know him as he brings them to the land, through giving the land. Verse 8 says, And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. The promise was to bring them out of slavery, be made God's own people, and brought to the land. And God says, I will do that. I will bring you there to the land he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, rescuing them from slavery in Egypt and taking them there and giving it to them. And again, this is what the Lord promises us, not the land of Canaan, but the glory that awaits, the promised land of a new heavens and a new earth. And in Revelation 21, when God speaks of this new heavens and new earth that he promises, the big focus is on the relationship we'll have with God there. In language very similar to Exodus 6, in Revelation 21, God says, Look, or it says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And this is the bit that sounds like Exodus 6. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. In the new creation, the biggest delight will be knowing the Lord. So, do you see the bigger plan here? The bigger plan that God had for Moses and the Israelites. There is a greater goal. Yes, the Lord will keep his promises. They still stand. And he will rescue them from slavery and take them to the land. But more importantly, he will do it in such a way that they will know him that they will experience his mighty acts of judgment, that they will come into relationship with him in a deeper way, and that he will generously give them the land. And the Lord's purpose for us too is that we would know him. If you're not yet a believer, if you're not yet a Christian, can I encourage you to pray that, that the Lord would reveal himself to you, that you would come to know him. And as a Christian, this is a great prayer for us too. To pray that we would know the Lord. Now you might think, yeah, I do already know the Lord. I think it's interesting in the book of Ephesians that uh, Paul, praying for a church, praying for people he knows, know Jesus. Yet he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And therefore it is a great thing for us to pray, Lord, I want to know you better. Yeah, I want you to help with this area of my life, that area of my life. Very important to pray those things. But ultimately, Lord, I want to know you better. Well, let's pray that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, please, that whatever we're facing at the moment, 
whether we have tried to be faithful and seen difficulties come our way or whether we're filled with joy at the moment. Whatever it is, Father, we pray that you would help us to trust that your promises still stand and that you would help us, Father, that we want to know you better. Open our eyes more, Father, to your goodness, your greatness, your power. Help us to understand your rescue of us, to know you better through that. Lord, we want to know you, to be in close relationship with you. And Father, we do look forward to knowing you even better in the new creation. Open our eyes, Lord, that we would know you. Amen.